What is up, unicorns? Happy fall. Whew, all right. I took a breather because I have a lot to talk about in this intro. So just sit back and relax because I have at least four points to make until we actually get into the episode. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Yeah, so happy fall. Many of you have reached out in the past via social media asking to hear my story. So exactly that is what's going to go down in this episode. An in-depth look at my life and my journey and how I've gotten to where I am as interviewed by Rich Roll. Rather than me sitting down and asking the questions this time, the interview is actually from the Rich Roll podcast, episode 307, where also my area code happens to be from, where uh, I'm the guest. Maybe you've heard of Rich Roll. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. He's got 11 million downloads. Uh, and I traveled to California over the summer to visit with him and his amazing wife, Julie, who's also a huge role model for me. She brought um, several of us incredible women together for a woman's circle that was incredibly powerful. We all need healthy female role models. Absolutely, she is one. But back to Rich, he has published over 450 episodes with guests that include people like Amanda Palmer, Jack Dorsey, Chai and Jimmy Chin, Lindsey Vaughn, Tim Ferriss, Carrie Walsh Jennings, and he asked me what questions he should ask Alex Honnold. So that was pretty fun. Rich is known as the world's most popular ultra-endurance athlete. He also struggled with addiction to become named one of the fittest guys in the world. His podcast is in the top 10 for health and fitness on the net, and many of you are here because you heard me on that episode of his. So thank you for that all around. He and his wife, Julie, uh, for the most part of me podcast again, have written all kinds of books on vegan eating and vegan cheeses, and they are truly, truly role models for me. Um, and when I look up and say, like, I want to be like them, um, it's really nice to have them on the path ahead of me. They were both huge influences for me in starting this podcast um, and representing what a healthy relationship is. So thank you again for you two existing and existing publicly for uh, us to follow. If you haven't checked out the Ritual Podcast, I highly recommend it, especially for guys. Um, it's really hard to find healthy male role models right now that are uh, accessible. And I would call Rich absolutely one of, the, one of those. Um, big shout out to you. Thank you for sharing. And anybody struggling out there, you're absolutely not alone. And Rich is the kind of person uh, that can help spiritually as a guy um, in not a fluffy way. Okay, <clears throat> on another note, we've got just, let's see. So on another note, um, for the first time ever, I am offering a ski trip in my hometown of Jackson Hole. There's a chance you might have filled out a intake forms. What do you call them? Um, you know the word I'm looking for uh, that I put out on my social about a month ago. We listened to those surveys. That's the word I'm looking for. And came back with this amazing, amazing adventure of a trip um, here in Jackson, three days long. Um, includes lodging and uh, all of us hanging out, community dinners and uh, workshop that I promise to send you home a better human than you left. Uh, I'll be sharing my breath work. I'll be sharing of my story. So yeah, that is late January. 
and uh, look for details on my social. I think we might have two more spots for early um, early signups, and then the price will actually go up. So it's late January. If you get on it now, it's cheaper. And drumroll, the most exciting up and coming news is before we get to the actual interview, I'm so thrilled to be releasing a new film this fall with Unicorn Picnic that will debut at IF3, the International Ski Film Festival in Montreal, Canada. I am honored and we are crushing it to get this thing polished um, for this, this fall. Last season, I brought two former U.S. ski team athletes, one from the East Coast and one from the West Coast, to Alaska to offer them a fresh perspective on life beyond the Olympics in a time of transition for them. When skiing pro, from skiing pro towards the Olympics to shifting their focus to how to make it in the real world. I'm really excited to share this piece and also look for the Unicorns Edit, a community edit dropping this fall, a community celebration of sending unsponsored. Okay, so now on to what you're here to listen to. I thought Rich would have me share about how I train and how I eat uh, because that's much of the structure of his podcast. (laughs) And instead, he asked me about my story, which I was unprepared. You know, I was super prepared to talk about how I train and what I eat and what books I've read. (laughs) Um, And he absolutely surprised me. And my answers are really surprisingly uh, vulnerable, which I'd never actually shared with anyone. And then went ahead and felt comfortable to do that on Rich's podcast. Uh, so he really has a gift that one that I would hope, um, that I can emulate with my amazing guests that I have on this podcast. And so he has me talk about my story and how I became a professional skier when there was no such thing. And how even my best friends were asking me, who do, who do you think you are um, at a time when no one could see what I could see? Uh, that included creating the life of being a professional athlete uh, and bringing into the world a, a film that young girls, I thought, needed to see uh, called Pretty Faces, which ended up going from literally a joke in the industry to winning all kinds of awards once people could see what, um, what the vision ultimately had always been. So um, I recommend this conversation uh, so much. Uh, Recorded in California over the summer and enjoy it friends. Lindsay Dyer, how are you? (laughs) I'm awesome. I'm uh, so excited to have you in the container studio to do the podcast. Thanks for coming down and visiting us. Yeah, it's beautiful here. Thank you for having me. How was the uh, beach this morning? Stunning. Yeah, what'd you guys do? Went surfing, um, stand up, and it's just, it's stunning. You were down there with June, right? June and Julie and Travis? Mm-hmm. That's cool. June's a mermaid. Uh-huh, she's a total mermaid. And you, so you were able, were the waves any good down there? Yeah, they were. waves this week. Uh-huh. And I asked you this last night, but I'm, but I'm curious, and maybe people who are listening are curious, like how does the skill set of skiing translate to surfing? <laughs> it seems like it would be fairly direct. I think at least the athletic stance once you're up, but everything else is totally foreign, and I'm just, I'm a kook. I'm yeah, so you're just learning. I've, I've been learning for like <laughs> a long time. But you don't, do, you don't do it as consistently as you ski, obviously. No, I'm a, I get... 
you know, maybe a couple chances a year mm-hmm. for, you know, less than a week to give it a shot. So, right. Uh, but man, yeah, surfing's hard. It's hard, man. It's really it will hard. humble you for sure. It's definitely humbled me and frustrated me. But it's also, you know, those tiny little moments make you come back. I, I remember the best ride that was so long ago and it's keeping me coming back. Yeah. It's like drugs. Like you're just trying to seek that high, that high that you got, you know, like, uh, that's what gets its claws in you. You know, you get that one good ride and that keeps you getting out there and, you know, falling on your face a thousand more times just in search of that, mm-hmm. that just one like blissful moment. Right. Yep. Yep. Well, cool. Well, uh, so many things to dig into today. Um, but I think, you know, like the best way to kick it off really is, you know, just kind of create a little context and and set the stage. You know, when I think of you, I think of you as, you know, this incredibly powerful, positive role model for female empowerment, you know, that, that obviously is directly related to your, you know, your athletic accomplishments and, and, and what you do on the mountain, but really transcends that. Like you have a really strong message that is reaching a lot of people as, as this, you know, sort of example of what it means to be like a kick-ass chick that shreds, you know what I mean? That, that in many ways I think can be qualified as a, a redefinition of what it means to be, you know, a strong young woman with, uh, you know, with a message and, um, with a skill set, And, you know, I think it's been transformative in, in a lot of people's lives. And I just want to thank you personally for being a role model as a father of two young girls. Wow. I think it's really cool. That means the world to me coming from you. You know, it's, you're strong and you have integrity and you do it with grace, you know? And I think that it takes a lot of, you know, inner self-esteem and composure to be able to do that in the face of what I would imagine are pressures that you face daily to do it a different way or to fit into kind of, you know, how other people would like you to do it. Right. (laughs) I really appreciate that. I come off that way because I, I do not feel all those things that you just said. You so don't? thank you. How do you feel? I, I'm every day is there's no roadmap. You know, there's no, uh, uh, this is how they did it before. So this is the next step. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? So it's always, I have to ask, I, I'm stumbling. I always feel like I'm stumbling. Yeah, but you're following your intuition and you're following your heart, you know, in the same way, like, you know, when you look at someone like Laird Hamilton, there's no roadmap for what that guy has done. You know, I'm sure there were pressures on him to be a competitive surfer and he just blazed his own path and be able to, you know, he's been able to create this whole kind of thing that he does, but there was no example that preceded him, you know, and I right, think in exactly. the skiing world, especially as a female skier, like there's no, there's nobody who was doing what you were doing before you were doing it. You know what? There actually were. The trouble is that I wasn't exposed to them and, Mm -hmm. uh, not very many people were. And that's what I had to find out was that there are incredible women that have come before me, but the trouble is no one gave them a voice. No one gave them a stage, uh, to, to expose them to young girls like me who needed legitimate, real role models, not models mm-hmm. <laughs> who are just faking it, carrying the surfboard. You know, the first thing uh, that had an impact on me as a, a young girl was the Roxy catalog. Mm-hmm. And of course I wanted to be a Roxy girl, right? Yeah, Cause yeah, I was yeah. like, Oh, surfer girl. I want to be a surfer girl. 
And, um, and then when I found out that they didn't actually surf, they, they were just models. Just model. I was yeah, yeah, yeah. crushed. I was uh-huh. devastated. And that was kind of a, a motivator to say, I'm going to be that. I'm going to show you that we can do things. It, we can, <laughs> we can do things. We, we're not just there to look good. Like right. that's not the fun part. The fun part is riding the wave. Right. Being the person who actually embodies that. Yeah. Because... I don't want to be the cheerleader on the sidelines. Like that's, I want to, well, I'm terrible at basketball, but, um, I want to participate. Right. And to the extent that there were, you know, women that preceded you, you know, of course, of course there were. And I say this a lot on the podcast, like, you know, it's important to shine a spotlight on, you know, powerful women that are, that are setting an example for, Mm -hmm. for young girls. And it seems like there aren't very many of them that are doing that, but of course there are like, we're just not very good at, at shining the spotlight on them. And so, you know, I feel a responsibility when I see someone like yourself or Robin Arzon or people that are like, you know, blazing these awesome paths to like celebrate that. Right. Yeah, it's definitely shifting now. I mean, that's why I made the film that I did was to expose young girls to all these role models that do exist, all mm-hmm. these incredible athletes that are creating this life that to show that yes, you belong out here too because look at look at all these women that are doing it that aren't necessarily being used in in marketing campaigns that go to mass media. Right. So how do you think, did you, were you conscious of this decision? Like I'm going to do this and I'm going to find a way to have a voice. Like, did you plan that out or did it happen organically just through the, you know, kind of, you know, natural expression that you would have kind of exuded otherwise? A hundred percent organically. I never imagined I would be sitting here or ever have gotten paid to ski mm-hmm. ever, ever in a thousand years. When I get these emails that say, how do you become a pro skier? I'm like, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Wrong question, because that was never my intention. Right. Well, I mean, you're a pro skier, but you're not a pro skier in the traditional idea of what a pro skier is or does. I don't know. What is a traditional idea? I don't know. Well, somebody who's like on, you know, like sort of competing professionally, right? Like going to the Olympics and doing that circuit, whatever it's called. Yeah. I mean, I competed on, in the Junior Olympics in, in mm-hmm. high school and won the Junior Olympics when I was young. But, you know, that's... Uh, that's not something like nationally televised or anything. And yeah, um, I, what I do now, I would have never imagined. Uh, most people probably don't imagine that it's possible. Right. And, and you had that opportunity, right? So let's, let's take it back to the beginning. Um, you grew up in Jackson Hole, right? I actually grew up in Sun Valley, Idaho. Oh, in Sun Valley. Which is I always a, confuse those two. Yeah, they're really close. I, I grew up skiing in Jackson for ski races. Uh-huh. Uh, and one of my... Uh, biggest role models was my cousin. Her name's AJ Cargill. And she would literally kidnap me from my ski races at 13 and make me go ski powder. Uh And I would miss the whole, the whole race weekend. I'd be chasing the bus on the way out of town to go back to, back to Sun Valley after like missing all my races, jumping off cliffs with my cousin. So you go, you go out of town to these ski resorts to race and then you would blow it off and then just go back country. I mean, that happened uh, one time and it was, it it was life changing. Uh, Uh but yeah, I I grew up. Yeah. Before that, I mean, your parents were both avid skiers, right? Yeah. It's a pretty cute story. They met on the mountain Mm -hmm. and, uh, mom likes to tell it that, you know, dad said, I'll meet you at the bottom. And she was there waiting for him. Uh It's pretty cute. She was from Michigan. He was from Seattle. Uh, he was a pro racer at the time. So on the downhill circuit, and uh, she loved skiing, and but was a fashionista. So. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so, uh, that, how old were they when they met? Like, were they just doing the ski bum thing at that time or were they both living there? I think they were chasing this, the ski bum lifestyle Uh in Sun Valley in the seventies. Uh, you know, that's when it was, you know, that started our whole, I don't know, just the brilliance of, of the ski bum lifestyle. Warren Miller living in the parking lot Mm -hmm. of Sun Valley. Uh, you know, I grew up going to Warren Miller ski films where, I watched this whole community come together around this sport that I loved and uh, that most people couldn't understand. And it was, those are some of the best memories I have, both of our family and just really seeing community come together around this thing that feels like flying, that you can't powder skiing, you know, there's, there was no way to win an award at powder skiing, Mm -hmm. but that was what lit me up. But initially, you went that traditional route of, you know, ski racing, right? When you were a little kid, Junior Olympics and all that kind of stuff. Right. The only way to continue skiing was to go the race route. My dad wasn't okay with me going the moguls. Um, Mm -hmm. He said, you'd you'd blow out your knees. And if I have a a regret, it's it's not going that route because I probably would have gone to the Olympics around 16, frankly, because there wasn't much competition. And, um, right. I mean, you won, you won Junior Olympics, right? I mean, you were, your star was rising, and that was kind of the path that was laid out in front of you. As a ski racer, yes, but I was never really passionate about chasing gates. You know, I, I never... I remember the moment that I didn't understand um, what, what it was. So I, I remember being so confused, like, okay, so you go around a blue thing and then a red thing. And you remember, like, I'm, like, young, right? Um and then a blue thing and a red thing, and you get judged on how fast you get to the bottom. And it, it, dep- the people that are celebrated versus those that are not are are separated by hundreds and tenths of a second. Like mm-hmm. it didn't make any sense to me. And I remember the moment that it it taught me to compare myself to others versus what I knew about skiing, which was this thing that you did with your friends all at the same time, mm-hmm. zoring down a mountain partially out of control as fast as you could. And that's why skiing was so fun to me. So what do you make of that? I mean, did you have an awareness at that, at that early age? Like, I don't know about competition. Like this to see, it sounds like you did, like you were aware, like this seems odd. It was, it was but really odd, but succeeding anyway. Well, I was a pleaser, you know, and, uh, and I wanted to make everyone proud. Like I think so many females do, you do what you're told and you do what is expected. And I, it's, it wasn't like it was that regimented, but I loved skiing and the ski racing was a way to continue doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you don't really, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Right. It was sort of like, well, that's just what you do. You go to skiing and you go to ballet and you go to soccer and you go to softball. You know, I didn't think a whole lot about it. I never imagined taking it super far. I didn't have that that dream to go to the Olympics or anything. You didn't, even though, even though like that was a very realistic possibility for you, you were like a take it or take it or leave it. Like it, it wasn't that important to you. No, I, I, I never saw it until, um, I started recognizing that, uh, my coaches and, and I guess community had me on that path. Um, fundraising events and whatnot. I remember going to an event, uh, where they had me put on this t-shirt and it had my results on the back of it. And I mm-hmm. realized that it, it was a fundraising event. And that was the first time that, uh, I heard that I was sponsored, that I had actual donors supporting my training and travel, uh, because my family, we didn't 
I, I had no idea what it cost it mm-hmm. to be going to Europe and uh, all these races. And did that feel like pressure on your shoulders that you didn't want? Absolutely. I, I kind of cracked under yeah. that once I realized, I mean, they called it the Olympic development program. And I was like, what? <laughs> so you expect me to go there? Yeah. I, I crumbled. I had no idea. And was training like intense at that time? Was it regimented and structured or were you just going out and shredding at will? It was intense, but I loved it because I loved my coaches and they were incredible role models and chasing them around the mountain on powder days was, was, you know, what it got me so excited. Um, like I said, just on the edge of control and then all summer to, to please them and to make them proud I and my brother showed up in the gym every morning at five, lifting awful amounts of weight, uh-huh. <laughs> hating every second of it. But that that fall, uh, I think I was fifteen, um, went to Europe and started beating the boys. And um, and uh, yeah, I, I just I didn't even I had no idea. It wasn't really like registering on you. It really wasn't. That's um, so interesting. No, I yeah I. Th- I don't know. So throughout high school, you're doing this and you get, you end up getting like a, a scholarship, right? To college. So that's kind of once in skiing, when you go to college, you're kind of essentially put out to pasture, you know, that it's kind of like you're, you're done. Right. Because like, if, if you're serious about the Olympics, you just, you bypass college and exactly. just focus on that. Right. Exactly. You know, so when I started a couple of tough things happened when I started really performing and sort of unaware. I just, I had this power and the strength that I hadn't had before. And it allowed me to, I guess, take risks. Um, but they weren't, they didn't feel like risks because I, I had the, the strength to, uh, I don't know, do some magical things mm-hmm. on, um, snow. But what came of it was, um, heavy bullying. Um, when I started doing well, the, I had, heavy bullying through all the way through high school. And it was all from high school, even into college, um, from my own teammates, uh, because particularly the why? boys. Like you were excelling. Like I would imagine you're one of the, you're one of the best, right? Are there, are there a bunch of other girls or is it mostly boys? Uh, guys and girls, but it's, it's an individual sport, you know, and, um, and growing up in, in a wealthy town, doesn't necessarily mean that, um, everyone's happy. You know, I think a lot of people think that, oh, if, if, so we grew up, I grew up uh, actually like in a average home, (laughs) but I thought we were poor, right? Because uh, I didn't, I didn't super wealthy. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't, uh, my parents both worked. So I was kind of, I got picked up at school by other parents and went to ballet and um, Cause you're like a, was, like a townie sort of like, a, is that, is that sort of what it was like? I mean, ski resort towns are very unique ecosystems, right? I don't know. I see, I don't know how to compare it. Right. right. Um, I called myself, I thought when I found out what a latchkey kid was, <laughs> I was like, Oh, I guess I'm a latchkey kid. Uh-huh. <laughs> Meaning you remember that, what that term meant? It yeah, meant that your you parents come, are both working. Yeah. You come, you come home, home after skiing. House, right. right. And, uh, and then I felt badly about that, but off the subject. Um, uh, bullying. I, yeah, I guess. Um, like bullying you for, for what? Like because they were competitive with you? I think there's a couple things. I think in, in retrospect, there just was some really unhappy kids that weren't getting 
attention from their parents mm-hmm. that really needed some love from their parents. I mean, I would lay in bed at night and, uh, and try to think of comebacks <laughs> that would make them leave me alone. Cause there was really just one ringleader, but the rest of them followed. Um, and it was actually a kid in particular that I grew up with. Like our families were friends when we were really young. We took baths together when we were like, you know, we have baby pictures together. And um, it was really sad. Uh, and it was a long time. And so I guess if I, uh, that would be something if I had a, something I could say to any kid that was being bullied now. Um, one, it gets better. And I, I feel like now um, it made me tough. And I, I, if I could tell kids, I'd say like, this is your warriorship and there, there might be nothing that you can do about it, except that, um, it's never, it, I'm, it, it's made me strong. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it's amazing how many like really high performing people that I know. And a lot of people that I've had on the podcast were bullied as, as young people. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, cause you're a little bit left of center or you're a little bit different or you're thinking outside the box. And you know, that's not always so good when you're in, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. In this case though, I think it was straight up competition and mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a team sport person. Uh, I didn't like making, it didn't like the fact that someone else had to lose so that I could win. I, it just wasn't my thing. I like, I like the, we, I loved soccer. I loved softball. Mm-hmm. I loved genuinely hoping someone else would play to their best so that we could win so that we could celebrate. And, uh, and it, yeah, I just, I didn't, I even, when I did well, I, I felt bad because other people were, were sad. And when I did, when I didn't perform, I felt bad because, uh, because, you know, you're taught to, like, mm-hmm. if you didn't, if you don't win, uh, there are times when I would say, I didn't feel like I deserved to eat. It's weird. It's almost like you've set up your own little prison because you excel at these individual sports. And yet this is the feeling that it's giving you. Yeah. And I, and I don't mean to take anything away from skiing or ski racing because it taught me so many other, so many important things, discipline and, and showing up when I didn't want to and showing up in all conditions and, uh, you know, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable and pushing myself. I mean, a thousand things. And when I finally decided to do, do it for myself, use all those skills that I had been taught from my coaches and from the program, I took off, you know, mm-hmm. when I could finally, uh, get behind them from my heart instead of the shoulds, right. um, and we're going to build towards that. But prior to that, so you're, you're being bullied and you're sort of souring on this idea of competition. Like, do you reach some kind of, you know, burnout situation when yeah. you're in high school where you're like, I'm done with this? Absolutely. I think uh, just the pressure, um, like I said, if a lot of us um, got to the point where if you weren't performing, then it, it's your whole life, right? There's it's your identity. Absolutely. A hundred percent of your identity. And, and especially in a ski town, that's probably all anyone's talking about, right? Right. It's like football in Texas or something like that. Yeah. If I wasn't in the newspaper, it was like, right. I didn't go to school much. I didn't, uh, yeah, it was my whole life. Mm -hmm. So is there a point where you just quit outright or you just shift gears with your skiing or what did that look like at that time? So I used it to, to get a scholarship into school Mm -hmm. and went to the design design program in at MSU Bozeman. Division one ski racing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, super burnt out. 
Mm-hmm. So you continue to ski in college, but it's not the same thing. No, no, it's right. not the same thing. Um, and again, it was just an excuse to to train, to continue to train hard, to build friendships, and um, to you know check out this new thing called college. Right, and and that's where you is that where you kind of discover this love of art and design. Did you always have that? I'd always had that. Um, my parents assumed that I would I was going to go into art, not athletics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was. I'm actually um, not, I mean, my dad even says it, like, you had to work hard, and then your brother had the talent, <laughs> so I'm not, <laughs> um, I don't know you worked that's really such hard. A nice thing to say. It's our family joke, uh-huh. you know. Um, so is your brother I, I a super timid. talented skier? He was talented at everything athletically. What's he doing now? Uh, he is, has the regular, you know, the typical, he's got a house and a kid, to a kid and a two car garage and a mm-hmm. wife. And does he live in Sun Valley still? Yep. He does. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And did, he was a ski racer also. He ski raced. He played baseball. He, he, um, he did everything mm-hmm. easily. But and like normal guy. Yeah. Normal guy, but also just never really found his, his thing that he was super passionate about. You know, I almost wonder if it was, it was too easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Yeah. So you go to college, you start studying design and art and all these beautiful pursuits. But I feel like the turning point for you was really when you did this semester. Was it a semester or a year when you went to Italy? Wow, you did some research. I always do some research. Well done. Well done. Uh, So, yeah, I went to school, uh, got into the design program. Incredible. No one would think it, but it had an incredible design program, incredible professor that is still... Um, a huge role model and friend, uh, but he wasn't in the beginning. So um, I went to school in Italy for a year abroad, and mm-hmm. it was... Like Florence, or where'd you go? It was such an incredible program. We traveled all over, um, all over the country, from Florence to Rome to... We spent a month in the Umbria countryside studying printmaking in a castle. Wow, like, and I like could, traditional old-school printmaking? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could run through the, the f- orchards and the olive fields every day. And, uh, but I was the only athlete and, and it was great. Not one conversation had to do with sports mm-hmm. and it was so good for me. To- and that's really the first, the first time you'd ever really taken a break from skiing, right? First that ever. You could have a life like outside since. of that. Yeah. It was incredibly good for my sense of the world that there is more to life than. Yeah. I think it's hard. Um, you know, when you're a high-performing athlete, there's a lot of fear around even taking a taking a break at all, like let alone like an entire year. Like, did you go? Did you ski in the wintertime when you were in Italy, or just nothing, nope. not no. at all? And I so didn't like a even reinvention, notice. like a rebirth, like a a, 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 a period of like discovery. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, mm-hmm. It was so good for me. And so you're, you're like making, you're doing, you're making prints and studying art and going to the museums and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Cool. And so when that wraps up, we, I assume you're with other students from your school, like you did it as a group. Mm-hmm. And when you go back, do you have a different perspective on your skiing or a, some clarity on like what you wanted to do and be? Actually, I was still following the the should model, right? Which is you go to college, you get good grades so that you can get a good job, you know. Uh, and so the next uh, step seemed to be go get an internship. Mm-hmm. And being competitive, I got the best internship I could. Um, it was actually uh, an 
I was getting paid a lot. In, it was in San Francisco um, at a video game um, a, a company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what was the mission statement of this video game company? Um, I went to one of the... It was an incredible place to work. I, I mean, really, it was as good as you, you get. There was soccer games at lunch, and there was paid-for um, spin classes that I could take at any, right, so any like time. That, that whole like sort of startup San Francisco vibe going on. Yeah, there are brilliant people around me, brilliant designers and creators. I was actually... <laughs> Um, a video game character uh, that was really fun. You know, they they used my modeled my body off of, uh-huh. uh, and I got to be a character. That was fun. Um, but yeah, I, I went to one of the you know the meetings, uh, you know, company wide meetings where they they get you all fired up and give you the vision. And their vision was that um, people would spend more time online in their online life, their avatar life than they did in their regular life. That mm-hmm. was their goal. And as soon as I heard that, I was, I had to run. <laughs> you know, like I can't, I can't participate in this. I couldn't because everything that I had learned uh, in life was all of the joy that I had found came from being outside in movement. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't support this company's that. like at cross purposes, <laughs> like your whole idea of how one should live. You know what though? I, it, it's been a long time though. And, and that moment has stuck with me. And I wonder now if this whole, I, I don't like being against anything. I like to try to work with things and see a different perspective and this whole VR movement and whatnot, you know, not everyone can have access to the mountains. I realize even Disneyland creations, right? Like monster mountain or what do they call them? Like Mm-hmm. They're emulating these places that that not very many of us can be, right? And so if I can use VR or or video games essentially to offer someone that authentic experience that I'm getting, especially in an empowerment way, then then I'm all for it. Yeah, it's definitely not a black or white thing. You know, it's it's tricky because there is that argument. Like if you're a paraplegic or you're stuck in a hospital and, and you want to experience what it feels like to do what you do yeah, and you can put on a VR headset and like have that experience, that's a gift to that individual. But the flip side of that is the person that then locks himself in a container like this and never takes the goggles off and never goes outside and lives their entire experience in this, you know, fabricated universe. Well, it's tough though, right? Like what do you get exposure to if a kid in a inner city can only get out by a video game? Like, can we hold him back? You know, can we mm-hmm. attack him for it? I, I'm very aware that skiing is an elitist sport and that it requires a lot of money to have that experience. And it's really easy for me to say, you know, come ski with me, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Like, I, um, and until I can help support in a way that we everyone can have that experience, especially kids, then I can't attack any. Right. Any or if that. someone watches one of your videos or has a, you know, can experience the, you know, what you do in virtual reality, maybe it would inspire a young kid to like go after that dream of trying to figure out a way to get to the mountain. That's my hope. That's my yeah. hope with the videos is that 
it can inspire people to, to get outside and have that experience. And that it's not all scary. Like it's welcoming and it's magical. That's why I bring in the unicorn, especially for girls, because it takes this thing that people have primarily seen as extreme and, oh, I could never do that to, it's fun and it's playful and it's magical and there's sparkles. Explain, (laughs) explain the unicorn. So people think that I'm obsessed with the unicorn, but the truth is I'm trying to speak to young girls. And how do you speak to your audience? You have to speak their language. And what lights everyone up? Like when, when people see a unicorn, they smile. Mm-hmm. And then, and I can talk to any kid in an airport. <laughs> and I do. I'm like the weirdo. I was like, Hey, you like unicorns? Me too. <laughs> and it works. You know, they're uh-huh. like, yes. Uh, and, uh, the and, magical, and the magical unifier. But what's also cool is it, it reminds older people of their childhood too, when anything was possible and, and there was magic and you could, you believed in your dreams. And, uh, so I'm all for it. I, young, actual children and, and those who used to be children, I'm, I want to bring them back. And I think mountains do that. And when you, when you play, when you remember that, that state. Yeah, so you so you created this unicorn using your art, artistic skills, and that it is it's a beautiful symbol of like innocence and joy and the imagination and magic and all of these things that really time that, was, that skiing is for you, and a, a time when anything was possible. Right, mm-hmm. there was a time when you you believed anything was possible, and I want to bring people back to that. And I think the mountains do that, and that video game company was not doing that. Oh, I don't know. I'm still trying to see it in a different way. But I think it's interesting that you had the, you know, the gumption and the sort of sense of self to walk away from that. Like, you know, a young person with a great job at an exciting place and, you know, all these cool people doing interesting things. I mean, it would have been easy to stay and rationalize it or just say, you know what, I'm going to do this for a couple of years. I'm going to make some money. And, you know, maybe I'll, I'll, I can spend my, you know, I can go on these vacations or in a couple of years, I'll get back to the mountain. You know, lots of people do that. And then, you know, life just then, you know, goes on. And then 10 years later, they're like, oh yeah. You know, Actually, I no, I felt like I was dying. Um, it was that bad. I felt like the, I had, there was definitely a pivotal moment where I was looking out the window. I had a window even, you know, in a cubicle. I mean, that's for an intern. Mm-hmm. I was crushing it. Um, and looking out at the perfectly manicured lawn and I, I felt like I was dying. I felt like I had done everything right. Everything they tell you. Um, and I was like, well, if this doesn't make me happy and this is what, you know, essentially society tells you to do, then, then what does make you happy? Because I'm not going to survive at this. And I thought back to when I was sitting in those, in the theater, getting beer spilled on me as a little kid staring at Warren Miller movies, watching this entire community be brought to get brought together by this thing that really had no, um, economic (laughs) reason to pursue it, you know, but it, it mattered, um, to me. And so I was like, well, I never saw women in those movies. So I want to show I want to see if we can. I want to show girls that we can be in those. I mean, they they were. They were kind of bimbos at the bottom mm-hmm. when I was little. Right, but totally male-dominated situation. Yeah, I was like, I remember even as a 10-year-old, like, I could do that. 
right. <laughs> watching the movies. And so it wasn't really like you didn't you didn't like imagine this specific. Did you imagine like this specific goal? Like this is what I'm going to go do, or you just felt like this pull? Like I need to get back to what's important to me, and I'll figure it out. No, I I, I fully I think it was the artist background, but I had the vision of <laughs> of that inspirational. When I watched those films, I got shivers at certain points when everything came together, the music mm-hmm. and uh, the artistry of the shot. And I think that's where the, the art combined with the athletics to to see right. this picture of that slow motion, you know, where the sparkles fly and, <clears throat> and it all comes together um, to make an inspirational film. So it was really the combination yeah, this idea that that skiing is a you know is a form of self-expression that is very much artistic and is you know a sort of external manifestation of of who you are in your own unique unicorn way, and to the extent that that can be captured and shared, uh, you know, taking a tip from Warren Miller but finding a way to do it your way is a way of you taking your two loves of art and skiing and bringing them together into this like unifying concept. Right. So that's what I did. Uh, but first you had to prove yourself. Right. And for the first time, literally that day in the office, I called up powder magazine and I was like, so how do you, how do you, how do you do this? How do you, (laughs) and they like transferred me a thousand times. Do what? This, uh, I want to do the skiing thing. Um, I don't remember exactly how I asked, but they, they eventually transferred me to the intern who, um, at the time her name is Ingrid Baxter and she is, is just one of the most incredible female skiers there are. Uh, and she, she was very sweet and was like, well, I, I suggest you get into some competitions and, um, and go from there. And my cousin, AJ, uh, had been one of the pioneers of extreme skiing for women and had been encouraging me for years to, to get into these, um, extreme skiing, uh, competitions. Yeah, so AJ is female. She is. She's yeah. your cousin. All right. Amy Jo. And she's Shargan. the one, I mean, she's the one, as you mentioned earlier, that like you were like, she was the mentor, right? Who's like, let's go back country. Let's ski all this. Forget about these races. Right. And how you were able to kind of tap in with the, with the love of that. Yeah. So she, do you go back, you go, so you go back to, you go back home. Uh, so, uh, that was in the summer and I just, I started training hard then. And, and it was like all of the years and years of training for other people finally crystallized into training for yourself, for myself. Oh uh-huh. my God. And I could, I could, I could lift far more. I could run twice as far. Like I remember putting on my sweatpants in college to go out in negative 30 degree weather, um, at 10 o'clock at night. So energized. Um, and my, my roommates would be like, what are you doing? I'd be like going for a run. Mm -hmm. And they would all look at me like I was crazy. And they did. Everyone thought I was crazy for, for, um, years and that was the best part is the first time in my life I was doing it something a hundred percent for myself, not for any outside affirmation or, uh, approval. It was so empowering. And 
still without any sense of like how you're going to make a living doing this, right? Like you were just following your muse. Absolutely. I I didn't expect to make a living. To me, it was like, okay, I have this goal and I'm young enough. I want to check this off the list, you mm-hmm. know, like the bucket list of, um, I want to get into a Warren Miller movie. Right. Um, and if you have to work at Starbucks or do whatever you have to do, like you're going to make it happen. Yeah. I figured I was young enough that I could, uh-huh. um, and if I failed, I knew that I tried. And um, when you quit that video game job, what, what did your parents say? Were they supportive? Yeah, I think, um, <laughs> I think they had learned a long time Ago like that Lindsay's got to do what Lindsay's got to do. Yeah, my dad will even say it. Like you couldn't, you couldn't tell me what to do. If you did, I'd probably do the opposite. Uh huh. So cool. So you start to do this, and at the time, like I have my like a like I'm as I'm listening to you tell this story, like I have. There's a lot of similarities. Like I had a similar kind of moment where I shifted gears. It's just I was 40 when <laughs> you know it's like a lot. Li- like I wish I had my the sense of self that you had that that sort of composure that you had as a young person. It wasn't like, that though. It was. But it, it was to me. It felt like I was dying. It wasn't composure. It wasn't but at this least, like. But you were making it sound. But really you were flowery. like, I'm not going to repress. It. Like I think I probably had a little bit of that, but I just pushed it down. I was like, no, this is what you know. I, this what I, this is what I'm do. supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Like, and I just figured everyone felt like I did, but they sucked it up. And and Mm -hmm. it took me a long time to figure out like, no, they actually like it. Like, you know, I'm the one who's suffering. They're not suffering like I am. Like maybe I should listen to this, but I had to like go through a lot of pain and years and years and years before I arrived at that point. And for you, maybe it was just more acute, but I think you just had enough sense of yourself to say, this isn't, this isn't the box that I should be trying to jam myself into. And that takes courage, you know, and it takes, it takes a like self-esteem and a sense of self. And yeah, when you're younger, it's easier. You don't have attachments and all that kind of stuff. But still, I think, you know, it bears mentioning that, that I think that is hard. And I think there's a lot of people who end up in careers, not of their own sort of most conscious choosing just because they thought that's what they're supposed to do and are not happy and didn't have that, you know, didn't have enough of that sense to get out when they were younger. And then they end up feeling stuck and it's, it's tragic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it's cool that you did that. So you're home and you're just, you're killing it training, right? And you're like, I'm going to be in one of these Warren Miller movies. Um, and, and you knew him, right? Like he was in the community, right? In the parking lot or like, did he come and go or like, where does that guy live? He lived in California. Uh, Uh, he was, he was a filmmaker, in California. Um, yeah, explain. I mean, maybe people who are listening, not everybody knows who he is, but, you know, legendary ski filmmaker. Right. He kind of put ski films on the map and he created an entire genre uh, of opportunity for those of us that mm-hmm. ski in the films. Uh, I guess it, it, it's like acting, except you're, you're an athlete so, or a stunt person, but the, all the films are just pure stunts. But they're beautifully composed, right? It really elevated, you know, that to a, a very specific art form. And he, you know, he pioneered that, mm-hmm. you know, pre-Instagram and pre-all the stuff that we do today. Right. But after 10 years of doing it, I hadn't seen that vision of what what I had always seen in my head that had motivated, uh, you know, getting into the competition scene again and, and, and all of it. So I had to make... My right. So what, if you had to articulate that vision, what does that sound like? It had, it, it was like everyone <clears throat> was following his model instead of, uh, 
instead of evolving it and not even evolving it, but it was almost like, why isn't anyone just showing the way it is? Um, the way it is meaning we're awkward in the parking lot and, um, families fighting to get out the door. Uh, and instead it was just like the, the perfection. Exactly. Which right, isn't really relatable. Emotional connection or the, the humanity behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to celebrate those parts of it cause those were, that's the, that's what makes it fun. Well, I think that's also what really engages the viewer also. Like if they can see somebody as a fully formed human being that, you know, that they can relate to who like has the same kind of conversations they have or arguments or what have you, they're like, Oh, I, I like that person. I can see myself in that person. And then when you go out and do rad stuff, they're like totally in for the ride. Right. I, I think everyone, they want to see themselves reflected back in film or media. Uh, and if you're not seeing how you engage in this sport, then mm-hmm. it's boring. And right. I think that's kind of how it is right now. Ski films, I think are fairly boring, and even though the, the stunts in them are incredible and the, the athleticism it takes to pull them off is insane and the level of risk that we're all taking, but I don't think it's necessary. Meaning what? Well, <laughs> like what's not necessary? The level of risk that we're all taking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's really getting ratcheted up too with, you know, kind of like the whole Red Bull films ethos and Instagram and trying to get the perfect shot and everybody trying to, you know, up the ante, you know, one stunt at a time. I mean, you see it in rock climbing. It's like right. insane, right? right? Like even the sponsors are backing away from the athletes because they're like, this is too crazy. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to die. And you know, I'm sure people in skiing are dying, you know, they are dying. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that pressure to like, you know, I've got to get this shot or get this clip, you know, cause it's going to be super epic and doing things you wouldn't ordinarily do because you're so wed to the viewership and the likes, et cetera. What's great is that it it is shifting. We have lost enough people where that awareness is, uh, and education is becoming cool. Right. And so there was a time when I felt like, you know, I had already hit a 70 foot cliff and I I didn't want to go bigger than that. And Mm -hmm. I was like, how can I outdo that? And the pressure of that, that I remember feeling moments of the only way you could outdo that is if you died, (laughs) you know, and I think a lot of athletes feel that way. And, um, and so how can you reinvent it to, to make it just as engaging, but, um, you know, especially when you're about being a decent role model, like how can we show the kids that it, it's good to take care of yourself, especially mm-hmm. with the head injuries and the, um, all the other, just the parts of it that I'm not, you know, proud to support. Right. So you do that by bringing in the humanity and bringing in the stories and, and, and providing, you know, kind of the inspiration and the, the kind of life advice for a young person that can inspire them and make them feel like this is possible for themselves and, and hopefully set them on a, you know, a trajectory that will get them to embrace the outdoors in the way that you do. I hope so. Is that, is that like the idea? Yeah. And that it's fun to get educated with your friends. And, and it's still, if you ask any professional skier, the best part about skiing is still powder skiing with your friends. It's not jumping off enormous cliffs. Uh And so those are the parts that I want to empower. 
So you're training like a crazy person, right? And so was there a, was there like a break? Like what was the first moment where you thought this is going to click in and this is going to work or how did that kind of unfold for you? Um, the, I was blown away, by how easy it was to, I I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way, but I, I won every competition I entered. Right. So we did, but even like, so the first, the first step was getting in shape to to then enter these freestyle competitions, right. Which is a whole brand new, different world of skiing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so explain what that, what those competitions are and what that whole world is about. Cause we see skiing on television. We see, what did I call it last night? The grand slalom. The grand slalom. We were talking last night. That's how much I know about skiing. You know, the downhill and the slalom, et cetera. But this is a completely different thing. Yeah. There's giant slalom. Right. And there's it's the giant slalom, and but I'm talking about freestyle now. Right. So yeah, most people, ex- when they think of ski competition, they think of Olympics, uh, GS, giant slalom, slalom, mm-hmm. downhill, uh, moguls. I got the G part, right? Yeah. You, you're doing great. I'm all over it. Yeah. Uh, and then there's, and what's so cool is now they've, uh, they've included the park events. Um, but big mountain skiing, uh, is very much in the, natural environment. Um, you're making the first tracks down, down something. Uh, and that's part of, part of my favorite. Some of my favorite parts about it are that the creative, the, the fact that you choose your line down the mountain mm-hmm. and, um, and, and that's and how losing, you're judged. Like, like you're judged based on like the creativity that you bring to the run. Yeah, you're judged on five different criteria of your difficulty of line, uh, fluidity, technique. Uh, time isn't until you know the very last thing, as where in ski racing you're only judged on time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so it it suited me really well. Right. So it's it's more about self expression than it very is much. you know just like definitive performance. Right? Yeah. Do you make people excited when they they're watching, you know, it, is it, does it look really fun? Mm-hmm. And so you enter So you, you win the first one of these that you enter. I, I actually, yeah. All, right. all every, seven. So every one that you would been in, you won. Yeah. And prior to that, how many women were in, were part of the, this freestyle world? Um, is it mostly dudes? Is is mostly dudes a handful? There were uh-huh. there were like three that I could name that were um, you know in the magazines and and writing and that but had that, a voice. That world didn't exist when you were in high school. It's like a new thing. You know, right? it might have, but I wasn't exposed to it. Uh huh. So you find your thing with this, obviously, right? And and this is getting you noticed, I would imagine, right? Again, it was. I, I did not like competition. So really mm-hmm. I was this just is still competition. So how are you reconciling? Like I wanted to get out of there as soon as quickly. Oh, you did. Even possible. though like you're winning and killing it again, you still want, it's still too much. It's just a means to an end. It was to me a way to prove to the sponsors that, um, that I was legitimate. That was how you proved yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, in this world, it's everybody wants to be in film and photo because that's where the sponsors are. That's where you can get paid. And now I have so much respect for the level of competition has increased so much since I was there. And these women uh, and guys that are on the competitive scene now, people don't know their names and yet they, they are the best skiers on, you know, in the world, but people don't know their names because, mm-hmm you need the, the big name sponsors. Right. And those that have put their time in there to me have, uh, vote, have that 
validity that I respect. Mm-hmm. But now, but because they're not at the Olympics, like we don't talk about them. We, outside that insular world, like most people don't know who these people are. Right, and uh, sadly, the the whole Instagram world has changed things even more, where people are not even going through uh, that system of of being, I guess, vetted. They're just calling themselves athletes and calling themselves pro skiers, and instantly they can blow themselves up on on right. social media, and yeah. then you get the sponsors. <laughs> yeah. And so it's totally changed uh-huh. our sport. I mean, it's as you know, it's easy to get to make a nice turn and put it up on the gram, um, but to to ski a line uh, in challenging snow in Europe, you know, like uh-huh. uh, these athletes are crushing it now, but they're not necessarily getting the recognition that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting with Instagram. I mean, I, on the one level the, like to, to just play devil's advocate with that, um, perhaps it could allow somebody to create a life around skiing without going through that competition route at all. Like somebody who really can deliver the goods, who's really awesome. And because they're, they're sharing it in this social context, they can get the sponsors and not have to deal with, you know, some of that process that, was ill suited to you, but most of them probably are just not like, they're just, it's just for the, it's just for the likes. Right. Yeah. It's kind of sad. I think, Mm -hmm. um, how easy it is now, um, to really all you need is some blonde hair and a cute smile and, and, uh, you can, you can get all kinds of sponsors. Yeah. And we're going to get it. We're going to unpack that in a second, but just, we're working our way up to that. Cause (laughs) that's really like the, the crux and the meat of like, you know, kind of where you've, change the dynamic a little bit. Um, but I first want to understand like how this whole world of sponsorship and sponsors works. So like you establish yourself in this world and then there are these companies that say, all right, we want to basically pay you to endorse our product. And that's what allows people like yourself to like continue to ski. Like how does that whole thing work? I still am not exactly sure. I know my experience, but uh, I don't know everyone's, so I can't speak on behalf of everyone. Uh But or like what the scene is, the the way you do this. Uh, But the way so far, and and honestly, I I don't even call this a career. Still, you know, at at any moment I could be. You know, I'm a line item (laughs) on, uh, so and I'm very aware of that. so as it stands right now, I, I'm still blown away that I keep getting the call. Right. So you have a, like a couple sponsors and they allow you to be able to like, just do what you do. Right. Yep. Is that, <clears throat> yeah. Um, you know, I get a base salary and then, um, I'm expected to, to be available for a certain amount of days per year, whether, uh, for their needs, whether mm-hmm. that's poster signings or show up at uh, trade shows or, you know, be promote this new product or be in a photo shoot for, mm-hmm. you know, promoting a new product. Right. All right. So you win all these seven competitions and then you want out of that. Right. So how does that look for you? Like, how did that work in terms of like, did you land sponsors as a result of that? And then you had the ability to like step outside the competitive zone. I, I thought I would, but no, no one cared. Uh-huh. Um, I was so lucky to get a pair of skis to, to ride on. And that was really just, it's still about friends, you know, mm-hmm. barring a, a pair of friends skis. Uh, so yeah, no one cared. Uh, and my goal again was focus on 
what's it going to take to get into a film? I want a film. I, I don't want to be in competition. Right. And so how did that, how did that come about? The first one of those come about? Uh, so I'd love to talk to you about almost get, not graduating. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Well, it's just sort of a funny story because while I was competing, I was still uh, trying to graduate. Uh, I was in my senior year of college and I was going to all these competitions. So I was missing a lot of school. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that my professor said uh, had always been combine what you love with design. And so that's what I thought that I was doing. And as it came closer to graduation, he pulled me aside and was like, you're not on track to graduate. And I was like, what? I, I mean, my grades are fine. He's like, no, participation is part of this. And he was really grumpy with me. Mm -hmm. He he thought that I had just been blowing school off to go skiing. And I I was like beside myself, you know, it's weeks away from graduation. And I didn't, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to um, pull this off. And we're in the design lab and uh, someone had sent uh, some, a picture or something of, of the uh, podium. And he happened to be walking behind me and saw the screen at that time. And and he, he, he stopped and he was like, wait, this is what you've been doing? And I was like, yeah, I'm trying to, um, this is what I've been doing. Uh, and he did a full 180 at that moment, recognizing that I was working towards something that actually he had inspired in some ways. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I talked to his classes about what it looks like to combine design and, and sport. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've been able to design my own ski line and, and the liners on jackets and posters. And, uh, so much of my design background has helped this career. Well, you also, you design your life, Very right? Much, yeah. You design your life based on the merger of your passion of skiing with art. Right. And like everything you do is sort of a, an expression of that. Absolutely. So on the, on the macro schedule, you know, the macro level you have that and then all the way down to the micro with whatever instagram you share or whatever is a reflection of that which is pretty cool right that's an amazing way to live that's that's incredible that you had that mentor who was able to see that absolutely so he let you I'm graduate lucky. he let me graduate <laughs> he let you graduate yeah. okay so this is like kind of this is what's swimming around in your mind the whole time right merging these two worlds mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so you're trying to get into one of these movies. Like, how does that, how does that go? Okay. Down? So, uh, that's a fun story. <clears throat> I was, uh, I was home for Christmas and I'm skiing every day with, uh, this incredible family, these two young girls every day from, I have to be at their house by 7am to get them up to, uh, to take them skiing. And we we're not allowed to come home till four. So I've got to make skiing exciting all day. And that's another story in itself that was a life changer, but, um, just teaching or passing it on to, to young people really having to, having to be a role model all day. Um, the integrity that that requires knowing that their eyes are on you all the time and everything you say, you have to back up, mm -hmm. you know, everything from making sure you're not a, a minute late in the morning to saying, no, you can't have sugar. That means I can't have sugar. And, uh, no, we have good attitudes out here. That means I have to have a good attitude all the time, you know, mm -hmm. and how do I treat, um, people in the lift line? How do I do, you know, can I park illegally? <laughs> not, not when they're watching, you know, so it's, um, it doesn't sound like much, but it adds up throughout, throughout a day of, um, 
making sure you're not swearing. And, you know, um, you, you never get a break to not hold yourself to the highest, your highest best self because it's for them. Mm-hmm. And after three weeks, uh, or two weeks of being home for Christmas break, which was, I skied every day with them. Really, I call them my first sponsor because, uh, that time helped me pay for my season, um, working for them day and night, really, uh, and nannying for these girls, uh, and, and trying to figure out how to make skiing fun when they'd been out every day, all right. week. So, so I've, I've heard, I had heard that, um, that Rosignol was in town that week for a company meeting or something. And, and I literally hunted them down to see where they were meeting and found out that they were at a local bar and I just showed up. And at the time I had been given a pair of skis by the team manager who, you know, you could send a thousand emails and he never Mm -hmm. responded to any of them. Uh, but I showed up and he, and he fully embraced me with all these, you know, Frenchies from all over the world, really representatives of the brand. Rosignol is a prominent ski brand, if you haven't heard of it, and uh, and made it seem like he had brought in one of his athletes, you know, oh. like, um, uh-huh. and uh, and so yeah, uh, I got taken out to dinner and and you know kind of put on the the show, and then he's like, "What do you want?" And I'm like, "I want to film." Like, can I go, I want to go film right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and at the time they were sponsoring Teton Gravity Research, TGR, which is one of the prominent film companies. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I want to film for TGR. <clears throat> and so that night he's like, well, you've got to take her back with you. He said that to one of the, the other athletes that he had brought in. And at that time, this guy was, you know, one of the classic partier um, crazy guys. He had rented a Hummer to get there. <laughs> right. And so I packed everything up that, that night, like, uh, ended up missing new year's cause it was like, I got my chance. Um, and booked it to Jackson hole. Uh-huh. And so, and so that was the first movie. Mm-hmm. Right. And so did you do something like, how did you put your stamp on it? Like, how did you, were you able to like, do something that hadn't been seen before or present yourself in a way that was unique in relation to how things are typically done in these ski movies? Like, you know, or, or did that evolve over time? I just, uh, I had been, you know, visualizing and preparing for that moment for the last, it took two years to get there. Um, I couldn't believe it. Two years is all, you know, from that moment I'm sitting at a desk to, um, to two years later. And, uh, I just knew that I was going to need to do something impressive. And that meant jumping off the biggest cliff I could find safely. And as a ski racer, I had been a a downhill skier. I loved the airs mostly because, um, everyone else got scared and I got excited. So as soon as I got to Jackson, it was, I was looking for a cliff. Um, and, um, I remember the very first day being taken out, um, by a, a, one, uh, one of the other athletes is still a great friend. His name is Schroeder Baker and him and, uh, the, uh, one of the owners of the company, Todd Jones and, he, and Todd said, you know, why don't you go hit that? And it was this, it's called fat bastard. And it was, uh, it's like a 65, 70 foot cliff. Mm. Oh my God. Um, that I didn't even, my eyes didn't even see as an option. 
And I remember looking up at it and being like, that? <laughs> like right. that You'd never done anything that crazy. Not even close. Um, and I mean, I'd hit big, big downhill jumps, but nothing, nothing even close. And Schroeder luckily stuck up for me and was like, dude, it's her first day. No, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, so then we went to another one, which was probably like a, it was a good 40 footer. And after looking at that first one, this one was like nothing. And I hit it three times and all, um, hiking and they, they had never seen a girl go that big from what they said. They were so excited. And for me, um, I was like, yes, this is what I've been. I can do this all day. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, and, uh, then that night they had a big party and, um, you know, skiers are partiers. And, uh, I was the only athlete that showed up that next morning and, uh, we're all too hungover. Yeah. And so the production was ongoing, right? It was continuing. Yeah, as long as the weather's good, you know, uh-huh. you're supposed to show up. And, and no one could make it to the shoot? Yeah, except for... So it was me and um, and the filmer. Uh, there was an intern that they made come out with us. And so in some, it, after a couple days of, you know, hitting those the cliffs, uh, this was by the third day. Uh, and I was pretty tired, but I wasn't aware of it. Um, and we had hiked up... Uh, another big line. And, and I fell at the bottom of it and I never fall, which kind of told me like, I was tired take a break. from, um, from, you know, days of, of hiking and stomping these big cliffs. You don't really recover all that quickly. Uh, and, and he wanted me, the, the filmer had wanted me to, to go ski this line that just really didn't look good. And it, there had been an avalanche right next to it. So you could tell it wasn't the most stable snow. You could tell that it, had, it was wind affected. It just didn't feel right. And um, long story short, you know, we, the intern and I hiked over to it and went to, it just didn't feel right, you know, and we went over the radio. Um, you know, we're not, we're not into it. We're not going to do that. And the filmer got so upset um, like, oh, you know, all kinds of swear words. I'll fucking go, go do that myself. Like, and I was so, um, I guess young and didn't want to lose my chance and be called a girl. Yeah, this, or, is, your big, this is your big like, chance and you're a woman and all of that. Mm-hmm. And right? they had never, they'd never given a girl a chance. I mean, that was the thing is like, girls can't do this. Like women's skiing's boring. Um, I, you know, somebody did my team manager a favor to get me out there. And so I didn't want to let anyone down and I fully, you know, let my own intuition go and, um, I blew out my knee. Mm. And so I really only had a few shots, but, um, from those few days, but, and a year to think about screwing up. Yeah. So, but you got in the movie, got in the movie, you learned a lesson. And then when that movie came out, did that change things for you or how did it go from there? I think on the outside it did. I think again, I'm sort I was sort of oblivious to the outside. I just felt like I had failed, uh, because I had only gotten in, you know, two days, but Mm -hmm. I guess it was enough to get on the map. Uh, yeah. And so then you start getting booked in other movies and then when does Warren Miller come knocking? The next year. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And you made that dream happen. Yeah. Where does the, um, like the sense of, you know, sharing and advocacy start to, you know, come in 
by virtue of, you know, what you're doing on social media. And then we're going to get to the movie that you made and all of that. Like, did you start to develop an awareness that like what you were doing was meaningful for other young women and that perhaps you had a message that could be empowering to, to girls? Uh, I never saw it like, to me, it was what, what did I need as a young girl? Like what, how could I be of service to, uh, to something that I, I didn't have. How, uh, and I think number one was seeing girls in the films, seeing that they could perform right alongside the guys. Mm-hmm. That was, that was for, and just to push your way in there. Like, cause it's, it's not easy. Right. And at some point, don't you end up like on the cover of, was it powder magazine? Yeah. Like so that one magazine that you reached out to the intern that began the whole thing and you were the first woman to be on the cover. So that was that fat bastard that, that, uh, uh, that so first that day, jump. um, that he had suggested that I couldn't even conceive of jumping off of it. And it took me three years, but, uh, but yeah, eventually, Yeah jumped off that one. Right. And so first woman on the cover of that magazine, like you're breaking all these barriers, like at every stage, like just winning all those freestyle competitions, you know, being the first woman to, you know, start doing crazy stuff in these movies, the cover of the mat, you know, all this kind of stuff. Right. So I would imagine like the community is taking notice of you and you're making an impact in terms of, you know, this, sense of what women can and should be doing or shouldn't be doing, you know, kind of blowing that glass ceiling up. That was my intention was to show what, what we were capable of. At the same time, I was also being used in marketing campaigns for the, the, you know, the, the curly hair and the smile shot, Uh you know? So for example, I did that 65 foot air. And then, uh, right after that for the camera did a did a powder turn. And, uh, my sponsor at the time used the powder turn in their marketing that season, you know, for their main marketing. So once again, it was, the girl was still represented as the smiley powder turns gear. And I was pissed. Mm -hmm. I was like, wait, I just did something that required a lot of me and, you know, puts the brand in a position to say, you know, to show that girls are, can do this. And they, they didn't see the value. You know, right. It's in, all about the smile and, you know, like, that's great, but can you do it again in a bikini? No, it was more like, uh, well, the audience doesn't care. Uh, the, the audience wants to see the product and they can't relate to that. Uh, what they can relate to is, you know, smiley powder turn. And mm-hmm. I was like, ah, oh, I was pissed. Mm-hmm. So I was like, at that moment was another one. Like, well, if I want to change this sport, I'm going to have to change it from the top. Right. And I've heard you talk about, you know, the kind of pressure that you and others face, you know, especially, you know, this Instagram culture, right? It's all about how you look, you know, and there are these girls that have like massive followings because it's about, you know, it's about the butt or whatever, you know what I mean? There's no substance to it. And when you have sponsors who are paying for you, there's financially vested interests in, you know, growing your image and your profile. And I would imagine what comes with that is that whether it's explicit or implicit, you know, pressure to, Hey, can you like, you know, show a little leg or, you know, do what these other girls are doing on some level. You could still be you. We don't want you to, we want you to be you, but, but maybe like a little bit like this. Right. And you've always like kind of towed the line, like, no, I'm not doing that. That's not what I'm about. I'm about like, 
you know, courage, strength, integrity, empowerment, all of these things. And, and, and to do that would be to, you know, sort of be at odds with everything that you're about. But I would imagine it's, it's probably been, there's been times where that's been difficult to like hold that place. This is the most difficult topic that I still don't have uh, a solid stance on. Right. Because I mean, you'd be making a lot more money if you were like playing ball. I'm very aware that I could get a lot of likes and a yeah. lot of followers by, I mean, I have the photos I've done, uh, bikini shoots, which is really fun. You know, there's a part of being feminine that I love that I'm so honored that, um, you know, and I'm also an artist. I love the female body. I think it's beautiful. Like I, I think it's beautiful. I don't want to hide it. And so part of me, you know, I wants to express that. And then part of me wants to, is, is there to say, okay, but I'm really not here for myself. I'm here for what is the greatest service for the, the young girl in me? What did she need to see? Mm -hmm. Um, and And that, that distinction between celebration and exploitation. Yeah, exactly, man. But it is tough. Some days it is so tough. Even last year, I, uh, I had an opportunity to get a lot of money from, um, an alcohol campaign that I watched a lot of my, I guess, peers, um, take, take the gig. It was for three posts, you know, including this can of, and, uh, it would have been so easy Mm. and I couldn't do it. Um, and it's the same with like the sexy shots. Uh, you know, I still don't have a, a real answer for that. I'd love input on from your readers or your followers, especially as parents. You know, how do we show young girls that they're all the parts of them are beautiful, mm-hmm. and it's not just uh, looking a certain way, uh, but their courage and their excitement around anything. Uh, without making it wrong. Right. So, uh, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough one. Yeah. Well, I think you've done a good job by just trusting your gut on that and your instincts. I mean, you know, in your heart of hearts, what's going to be okay. And, and, and what, what isn't to me, I'd say anything I actually do, you know, I, I, I wear a bikini to go surfing and to wakeboard. Mm -hmm. And, and if I'm, you know, doing a sport, like, sure. Well, the word authenticity gets thrown around, you know, very casually, but it's true. You know, if it's authentic to who you are, if it's a natural expression of what you would be doing ordinarily, then I think it's okay. It's when it becomes artifice and there's some other kind of agenda that's built into that where it becomes, you know, uh, something else entirely. And I think, you know, what would you tell your daughter, you know, like, you know, to, she's got an opportunity to, to make a lot of money from, you know, um, a, a bra campaign, campaign, for example, what would you tell her? What would I tell my daughter? I mean, first I would tell her that, um, that I love her no matter what choice she makes and that, um, hopefully she has enough self-esteem and enough sort of, um, connection with herself to know what the right answer is. I wouldn't tell her to do it or not, not to do it. I would tell her to trust herself and that whatever choice she makes is the right choice for her, but that it has to feel okay. And if there's any kind of queasiness or reservation about it, that she shouldn't do it. And that those choices should not be made out of fear or a desire for money or out of a sense of people pleasing or trying to fit into somebody else's box. 
Right. Well, I can tell you, you get a lot of attention and you feel really good. Mm-hmm. They make sure you feel really good. You know, you feel yeah, like a superstar. I, mean, I can't imagine to, I, I, I can't, you know, like I can't imagine what that feels like, you know, cause I'm, I'm not a woman and I'm not in that scenario. So it's gotta be difficult, especially, you know, you're just trying to like, you just want to ski, man, you know, and it costs money to ski and you got to make a living. So on some level, like, you know, you have to be, well, I think you have that to be that's a business a of, person in the world. I think that's a lot of people's argument that are going that route right yeah. now. Oh, I want to ski, but I can get paid to take off my clothes. So but what do you stand for? And I think the difference between you and somebody else who just wants to ski is you have a message and that message is connecting. And that message is more important than the other things that you are doing, like the impact that you're having on, uh, you know, other females and young girls in particular is something that you have got to covet and protect above everything else. And to the extent that, you know, uh, a sponsor's interest is going to in, infect that in a negative way, and then you have to be extra protective and careful about that. I really appreciate that because uh, yeah. I've definitely lost opportunities because I just don't have the numbers that some that some people have for even just the 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 Instagram girl who's out there with just back, back to the camera, looking out at the lake. Right. Yeah. But, well, it's like, yeah, if you start doing that, then maybe you, you blow up into half a million Instagram followers or a million or 2 million. But like, what is the value of that? And how do you feel when you put your head on the pillow at night? And what's more important? I think it's better to play the long game and to, you know, continue to walk forward with integrity. And the, what that will do is engender trust and fidelity with the people that are interested in your voice and your message. And they know that when they, you know, tap into your account that they're getting the real you and that's important. And that's much more important than how many people are following you. It's I like, just what is the that legacy I, yeah. that you're leaving? I just wish that I could tell girls, here's a way to do it. And, and it works, you know, but I can't, I can't, I, I still don't know. Because it's changing all the time. Mm-hmm. And I would say that a lot of people have found a lot of success doing it the other way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But you have to do what's right for you. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and I would encourage you to continue to just do what you're doing. Like I watch all your stories and like, it's amazing in your Instagram stories, like I'm getting a behind the scenes look at it's basically your day, you know, but it's like, you're having a blast, you know, and you're with all these people and it's about community and it's about empowerment and it's about fun and it's about embracing and enjoying the outdoors in a really tactile, profound way. It's not about like, you know, what outfit you're wearing or whatever, you know, like that's beside the point. So you're, you're doing, you know, like, and it's, it's a harder road, you know, but it's a more valuable road. And I think it's a, it's, it's using these tools in a way that can have a positive impact on, you know, the people that are, that are following you as opposed to just some kind of transactional, you know, relationship with your audience. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Cause I'm just usually by myself in the woods. <laughs> no, it's cool. Feeling like I don't yeah. fit in. I've been falling for years. <laughs> talking to the girl, trees. <laughs> you know, no, it's good. So let's shift gears a little bit here. I want to talk about the movie that you made. Um, and I want to talk about your foundation. So a couple of years ago, you decide you're going to, you're, you're going to make this movie pretty faces, right? And you crowdfund the budget and you make this movie with all your friends about skiing, right? So tell me about the movie. I haven't actually I haven't watched it yet. I'm yeah, yeah, no to worries. Tell you. Can I take a break? Yeah, of course. I have to pee. Yeah, of course. I drink too much water. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go for it. Um, okay. Um, run to oh. the house and come back. Take your time. Yeah, I just drank. 
I'm feeling like we don't have much time, so I'm like rushing. No, it's okay. Just chill. How are we on time? Uh, we got like 20 more minutes. Okay. We'll be good. Um, here, can you get out? <clears throat> All right, so I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about your movie. Can we talk about your movie? Sure. Pretty faces. Mm -hmm. So tell me how that whole thing came about. So, uh, yeah, after 10 years of being in the, the film scene, I, I, I expected someone to make the film that was in my head because it seemed so obvious to me. And yeah, after 10 years and of that, that film in your head was what? Just more real, more, uh, more the way I saw skiing, uh, not just the highlights, but the whole, the whole story of it and maybe it would be good to just articulate like how do you see skiing <laughs> right like let's get to the bottom of like what it's all about for you well the premise is the story of a skier girl so my vision was from young to old how a female or really anyone encounters the mountains uh and and it i never expected that it would be just a female movie, but you know, this was a niche that I thought needed to be represented. Mm -hmm. So that, uh, and, and in doing the research, 40% of, of people that watch ski movies are, are female. And yet, uh, there might be one female in a, in the premiere ski and snowboard films. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the, the premise of that I built it on is that, Hey, half of your audience is not being represented and they want to see themselves reflected back. Uh, and I was kind of laughed at and told right. you're thinking like, they'll see it totally. And like, this will be no problem to get funded and made. No, actually no? I've been hearing for years, you know, women <laughs> skiing is boring and no one wants to watch that. And women skiing is a joke. And, um, and yeah, I just felt that's like, just like, a reflection of the boys club nature of this subculture. Yeah. I mean, that's that seems just how like it is. Really dismissive. It is. <laughs> and that's why, but I've always, I, I think a lot of us are fueled on being told no and, and told that we can't this. Was, I mean, that's why I hit a big cliff was to show mm -hmm. that we could. And I know a lot of the females now are, are fueled by that, you know, um, you know, girls don't trick, blah, blah, blah. you know, it, it's a huge motivator for a lot of us being told what we can't do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, that was a big part of mine was I'm not here for the, to try and fit in with the boys club. I'm here to serve the, the young girls that need better role models. Mm -hmm. And also to say thank you to the sport that, that gave me so much, my confidence, my everything mm -hmm. taught me everything. So, the vision that I had was, uh, just the fun parts. Gosh, I, I don't even know how I, I just, I just wanted that authenticity to, to be there. The humanness, the thank you to our dads who taught us how to do it. Um, and that brought us out there when we didn't want to be out there and, um, made it magical. And to, sh and to shine a spot <clears throat> spotlight on your, your friends and your colleagues, the other females that, you know, share your perspective and your ethos and your love of skiing in the mountains. Yeah, absolutely. Honor these women that, that have made it on their talent, not on what they look like. Right. And so you end up crowdsourcing this mm -hmm. movie, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
and uh and you shoot it and you make it and you like edit it yourself like you spent like a whole like you just locked yourself in a room with a couple people and like edited this thing yourself yep wow yep that was um, when was that 2014 yep a couple of years ago yeah mm-hmm. uh-huh um and pretty faces it comes out and i've read a bunch of reviews I, I apologize i haven't seen it yet but um the reviews were really good right like you screened you screened it at mountain film and like a bunch of festivals and actually we took it on tour and you did yeah you did a tour That's i didn't I expect i didn't even know if anyone would come right so i only uh <clears throat> booked one theater the first theater uh-huh. and for some it just it took off and it won all kinds of awards and it sold out 150 shows and still gets requested. And, um, my intention was, was to create a piece that honored those that came before us. Um, and that honored those that were charging now that didn't necessarily have the big sponsor money, but also including, you know, the, everyone, as many of us as possible to show just how many of us there were and that are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that experience of taking the movie around and, and touring with it, like what are there some memorable exchanges that you had with people that were impacted by the movie? Like what stands out? Oh, it's just, it was so much fun. All the unicorns that showed up in costume, um, all the young oh, girls people came out in unicorn costumes. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Those are your fans. Yeah. The dads and the moms. And, and all the moms that said, you know, we wished that we had this, uh, we all, you know, the women that felt like they didn't have a community, they, they had felt like outliers. And, uh, now this showed that there was, there was a community that loved this too. And there's still girls that live in mountain towns that, uh, you know, they're drawn there. I mean, it's becoming more and more popular to be the, be mountain you know, be outdoorsy, mm-hmm. right? This whole, it's, it's fully shifted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and now, you know, the nonprofit helps with connecting people in those transient towns that are looking for outdoor buddies. Right. And we're going to talk about that in a second, but you know, this, as you're describing that, I'm thinking, you know, about this boys club, you know, ethos in this world in which you inhabit. Um, but when I kind of like poke around and, you know, read about the things that you've done and that you're doing, like, you had like really favorable sort of mainstream press that exists outside that subculture. Like outside magazine has always been like a big fan of yours and writes about you all the time, you know, is always like praising you. So it's like, you're getting the love, like maybe not with the boys club or maybe that's changed. I don't know, but, but you know, the outside world is like taking notice of it's you so funny, in a way that I'm... exists like, and that's way more powerful than whatever, like the couple people who like, you know, are tastemakers within that small community. Like if you can, your, 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 your message is transcending that and impacting culture outside of that, which is really, that's the gift. Thank you again. Yeah. I mean, we're just, I think you always put yourself around people that make you are at the highest level. I think, yeah, I don't know. It's tough. The guys are, the guys are doing incredible things. Right. And there's a lot of guys that, that deserve a lot of recognition that they might not be getting. And so there's, it's easy to get, to get hate. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm always trying to keep that in check. But has that come around? Like, has that changed? Like now that you've made this movie and you're doing all these things, like, has that, 
sort of perspective within the community, within that boys club? Has that shifted at all? Or is that a I have no idea. You don't know. You I just no do your thing. Yeah, I really don't. I, I, I mean, like admire your, your like blithe sort of naivete about these things. Like is that sort of feel, I feel like on some level, that's like your secret strength, you know, like not paying I can attention feel to all this stuff that other people get really caught up in. I can feel uh, jealousy and, and I, you know, no matter who you are, if you have, if you've, found any sense of success, you know, there's going to be the shit talking that mm. I, that you don't necessarily hear, but you, well, you don't to your face. Be, are you like on the receiving end of a bunch of, I'm not at all, stuff? not, no. a, not that I'm aware of. It's the, it's the, um, behind your back stuff that your own, some of your own competition says, you know, mm-hmm. or male or female, I still feel it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is what it is. Right. All right. So let's talk about she jumps. Right, you started this. I don't mean to talk about haters because I don't. Re- I really don't have any that I'm aware of. Right, but you always know that mm-hmm. um, that they exist, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, you're better off. Don't pay attention to it anyway. Yeah. Who cares? I I I, I can't afford right. to. <laughs> All right, she she jumps. So tell me about this nonprofit that you started. It's really cool. She jumps. Uh, yeah, our mission is to increase participation in the outdoors of women through mentorship. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Can my daughter Mathis participate in this somehow? Yep. She wishes. It's like, I love her to death, but I feel bad for her sometimes. I feel like she should have been born in like a ski town with a ski family because she just loves skiing. She just loves it. And I feel bad that we live in Southern California because if it was up to her, she would be up on a mountain every single day. That's so funny because I wished, I, I was so grumpy when I was little saying, God, why wasn't I born into the under the beach community. Cause I'm supposed to be a surfer, uh-huh. you know? So I can tell you that sometimes when you're, you're born away from it, it, it makes you appreciate it mm. uh, even more, you know, East coast skiers, for example, are some of the greatest lovers of skiing because they know they don't get it all the time. Right. Uh, so there's a value to all of it. Yeah, right. I get that. But she can come visit. So she's gonna, man, I'm going to, I'm going to make her go visit you. Yeah. So, I'd love it. All right, cool. But so tell me what you, what you guys do with, with she jumps. So we have all kinds of events. The program that we're most excited about right now is called wild skills where we're utilizing. So we have two, two, t- three tiers of, um, I guess, participation. The, the first are recognizing those women that are doing incredible things and sharing their stories so that we all can be inspired by the, those at the highest level and, and sharing what they're doing to, to get it out there. Like I said, so that media, uh, so that it trickles down to where the young girls can be exposed to like, wow, she just climbed Everest or she just skied this line or, Mm -hmm. um, so recognizing what women are doing at the highest level. Then the second level is, is the community finding other like-minded people to get outside with. So we have grassroots groups all over the country that just, you know, meet once a month to get outside, um, in all kinds of events from fly fishing to bike clinics to, uh, obviously skiing. And then the third is the never evers. And that's where our programming and our fundraising goes towards. And we utilize those top two tiers to coach for these events. Um, and we've got a couple programs where we're fully outfitting girls, uh, and boys to take them skiing and mm-hmm. coach them and uh, but Wild Skills is our newest program. What we struggled with was in, with the mountains. God, there's so much to so so many costs, right? And it's it's inaccessible. So we needed a model that could be scalable. 
So we developed a program called Wild Skills where we uh, were teaching four different skills, navigation, uh, <laughs> Um, I like to call it fort building, uh, but it's it's shelter building, right? Uh, uh, leave no trace protocol. And what's the fourth one? Uh, There's always an element of facing fear. So rock climbing or skiing or, you know, whatever we can, whatever physical event that we can get in there. Mm -hmm. Um, and the idea behind that is is exposing like underprivileged kids that don't ordinarily have the ability or the access to do these things, right? Underprivileged that- and privileged. I think privileged kids need this stuff just as much as as underprivileged. That's what I'm finding. I mean, so many of the kids I grew up with, they had plenty of money, but they didn't have enough love. You know, they didn't have the big sister or the parents around. So we everyone needed it, needs it. Um, so yes, we make sure that, um, that the at-risk youth definitely have, uh, there's, there's lots of opportunity for them, uh, as well as average girls. Right. That's beautiful. That's really cool. So how many, how many people like work for the organization and how, and how do you structure all that? Like, that's, that's very enterprising. We really have only one like paid that. position and yeah. that's, uh, our director. Um, and then everything else is volunteer. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course we have a board and, and right. And where would you like, like, where's all this going for you? Like, do you, do you have like an, I, I get the sense that like, you're not somebody who sits down and writes out the five-year plan. Like you're going with the flow and you're following your heart and your muse. And that's been a trusted, you know, sort of, um, true North for you and has led you. It's my only choice. Yeah, it's like, it's led you by, by like trusting that by having faith in your own personal voice, it's allowed you to kind of blossom into this person and, and, and provided you this life that you always wanted. Right. So, and that's inspiring, you know, that's, that's inspiring. Cause I think a lot of people are afraid of that. There's a lot of uncertainty that comes with that. That's the trade off. You know, it is yeah, not you have easy to learn to live with that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's tough. You, you don't know if you're going to, you know, have a job next year. Uh, and so it, it takes an active, um, you have to be very, I have to be very active in staying in, in my highest potential. Mm-hmm. And that means staying in those activities, uh, that, that keep that fire, I guess, uh, light me up. Mm-hmm. And I've actually been thinking about that a lot. And I don't know if I'm, I don't have an agent or anything like that to tell me, like to advise me on what I'm supposed to talk about or not, but I've been writing a book. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's like halfway done. And, uh, I don't know. You would tell me, am I, is that something I should talk about or not until it's done? You could talk about it. You're on the hook now. It's good. (laughs) Now you're accountable. No, I mean, I'll do it no matter what, because it's, it's, it's what I realized was what I was using to navigate and it's been about fun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's called the unicorn handbook uh-huh. and it's the value of fun and the value of, of play. Um, and there's some research on it, but it's never been all put in one place. Right. Um, so that's what I'm playing with. That's really cool. That's awesome. How close are you to being done with it? It feels like, you know, it feels like halfway. Yeah. But I, I've never done this before, so I, 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 I'm very aware that there's rewrites. Are you, and, just, are you doing it? Do you have a publisher, or are you just doing it on your own? 
I just wanted it again. It was kind of my own, um, like just writing down my own, my own values and my own like navigation, even just for myself to remember like, Oh, when you get stuck, what do you do when you get scared? Because you, I don't know what's going to happen next year. Like what, what are the, uh, the go-tos that help me, you know, move through that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say it's breath and it's movement and it's what feels fun and how can I make this playful? Uh, and when I get into the, when I use those strategies, um, there's always a shift. Yeah. That's cool. Do you have, um, like who are your mentors? Mm -hmm. Do you have people that like, you turn to for counsel or, you know, maybe somebody that is in the culture that we know of that you sort of aspire to their way of living or you just, you're just doing your thing. I think I'm still searching for that role model who I want to be like. Uh, and I'm, I'm really sensitive. I mean, there's a reason I, I, uh, I would look up to Julie because she's really speaking some truths that I can feel that, uh, that I think all of us struggle to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'd say she's one of them. Right. Oh, that's um, cool. uh, uh, <laughs> this is going to sound weird, but the more courage I get, the more I'm willing to say, I actually am recognizing that I, I don't even, I've, I can't believe I'm, it's going to sound so cheesy, but, um, I, I represent the planet. I I'm the marketing team for her. For the earth. There's nothing cheesy about that. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah. I mean, she's, she's, uh, she's the thing that, um, nourishes me. And I, like, like I said, when I'm, when I was sitting in that beautiful, um, job in a building, I, 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 I can't even run on pavement. Um, so I have to honor that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I just came back from the rainforest and, uh, it was, it's never been so clear, but like what that. I'm supposed to So when to somebody do, says, what do you do? You can say, I'm an ambassador for the planet. I work for her. I yeah. work for her. I'd love to say I work for the rainforest. I, I work for, I work for the planet. I work for the good of, of the next generation who needs uh, a change in how we educate our kids and not we educate, but we allow them to educate us because mm -hmm. they're bringing the solutions, if we can just empower them to have the courage to share it instead of forcing them to fit into the box that we want, you know, we, I want to create those structures that allow them to bring the answers because we need some solutions. When you talk to young girls and maybe young girls who are in search of inspiration or mentorship, like what is it that you communicate? Like, what is the message that you're imparting? I don't, I'm not trying to impart a message. I'm just trying to show them how rad they are so that they start to see their own magic and start to listen and start to believe in it. Uh, because we have our own magic. Uh, I, I've been thinking about it even for your listeners. Um, it's like, we're the ones we we're the ones we've been waiting for. That's what Julie says all the time. I, I really believe that. And, and we have, we have what we need. We think we need to make more money or know more important people or, or be more educated. But the thing is, if we're, if anyone who's listening to you, we, we have it. 
because, because we care about this stuff, uh, it means that, uh, we're part of the solution and I, I'm, I've been wondering how to motivate that. And I kind of want to be, I want to use what worked for me, which, <laughs> which was like, oh, well, you probably can't, <laughs> there's probably nothing you can do. So maybe we'll just, yeah, you probably, you, you can't do that. <laughs> In other words, meaning when you're told you can't do something, that's what motivates you to do it. I hate to admit it, but yeah. but Not yeah. everyone's like that, though. Some no, people I, like take that to heart and they get defeated. Well, I would say that anyone that is listening to this podcast is so... It, we're the ones. We're the ones. I can feel mm-hmm. it. Like, uh, we care. And there's more of us than, than... I think at some level we all feel... I know I've felt like, what can I do? I'm just one person and... Uh, and I don't have enough money or influence or education. Uh, but what sitting in the rainforest did was tell me that what, so my nonprofit, our motto is what would you dare? What would you dare to attempt if success were the only outcome? If it really think about that for a second, what would you dare to attempt if success were guaranteed? And that's what has led us for, for this long, but it's been, you know, 15 years or we've been incorporated for 10 years. And now I've changed the motto to be, what would you dare to attempt even in the face of failure? Mm -hmm. What sounds so fun that even just trying it might be worth it. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I was young, I wanted to save the rainforest. And, but it seemed so daunting and no one took it seriously. I was in third grade, I was having bake sales. Um, and I didn't even know how to cook, you know, like selling (laughs) uncooked cookie dough to my friends and sending money to go save the whales or the rainforest. And, um, and when I looked around at that time, I was, I was certain of what I was going to do. I was going to go into politics and go save the rainforest. But, uh, when I really looked into it, I, it, it seemed like, politics led to a down a path that I would get lost. It seemed like you had to play a dirty game to get anything done there. And I didn't think I had the strength to face that. And then, um, when I really looked at the problem in environmentally, I I know I took this off course, but no, it's good. Keep going. You're um, on a roll. Keep going. Um, I couldn't find a solution when it came down to it. No amount of awareness was going to change that decision when a family at the edge of the forest has to decide between cutting down another hectare of forest in order to feed their family versus doing the right thing. Right. Mm -hmm. In, in our case. And so I, I didn't, I felt like it was a losing battle. And so I got distracted in other things, primarily skiing. Right. Um, and coming back from the rainforest a couple weeks ago, my new motto is like, what would I be willing to fail for, you know, what would be so great that even just one thing a day in, in service to this mission, you know, I held this goal of skiing for a living or skiing that people told me that it was impossible. Right. And at the time it was impossible. There, there weren't girls doing it. And just by holding that vision, I, uh, I created it and I I never imagined that I could, and no one around me did either. Mm -hmm. And then a few years later created a film that everyone said that they'll never be able to do that. And it, yeah. Who would watch that? And then, uh, 
So those two things, I mean, it's skiing that has shown me that the impossible is possible. And so if, if I'm willing to actually use what that's taught me, then the next one is the rainforest. (laughs) Well, that's great. I mean, skiing is the love, but skiing is also the vehicle for the message, right? It's not, it's been everything skiing of it in and of itself. It's, it's a, a metaphor for, yeah, exactly. And it's the right? teacher and it's, yeah. And that can continue to evolve for you. You're not a static being. Right? <laughs> None of us are. Yeah. Oh. That's really beautiful. Well, we got to wrap it up here. Yeah. Um, it's Jai's birthday. So I got to get to her birthday party. Um, but that was beautiful. And thank you. It's a blessing to, it's a blessing to be able to talk to you. Um, and I always like to end this with, you know, maybe some words of wisdom that you can impart to, you know, the young woman that is listening who is struggling, maybe she's still in the cubicle and can't find her way out and isn't in a place where, you know, she feels like that idea of what would be so amazing that you'd be willing to fail for it doesn't feel like a, a, a reality for her. Like, how do you break somebody out of their routine and, you know, inspire or provide them with the tools to, you know, perhaps redirect their trajectory towards a more meaningful, playful existence that, um, can, you know, touch the outer boundaries of what you've experienced? Uh, well, I've, I've definitely learned that we truly do only have right now. So what sounds fun right now? What's the next fun thing? Uh, and just go do that. Mm -hmm. That's it. Um, don't overcomplicate it. Yeah. I mean, that's the way I've been living. Uh, and so far so good. And then I also want to recognize you for saying, and just say thank you for creating a place that, that guys can look to for a role model. I think as hard as it is for women to find role models right now, it's, it's, it might be more difficult for men to find d- decent guys to look up to uh, for everything that you represent, spirituality, health, how you deal in a relationship, how, how, how do you follow your own passions and be a dad? Like, so I would say thank you. And to, to, to any, any guys out there that, that are walking that walk, whether you're a dad or whether you're just, whether all of it, I, we need real men. (laughs) We need you. So it's, it's so hard to be a guy these days. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. That's beautiful. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's close it down. How do you feel? I I feel like I have, that's like the old story, right? I'm like, I want to talk about now. <laughs> yeah. Well, we come back, finish your book and we'll come and come back and we'll pick it up where we left off. Fair enough. Is that a deal? Yeah. Fair enough. All right, cool. Thank you. All right. Lindsay Dyer. She's awesome. And you're going to want to check her out online. So the best places to do that are lindsaydyer.com, L. Y N S E Y, no D, right? D Y E R. Yeah, Unicorn Picnic is is something is the place right now. And what about SheJumps.org? And SheJumps.org. And yep. you can check out Pretty Faces the film. It's on Vimeo, right? Like you can pay five bucks to watch it or something like that. Uh, is that how it works? And iTunes. And iTunes, mm-hmm. cool. So check out the movie. Follow Lindsay online. On it's the same on Instagram and Twitter. She's awesome. Wow, thanks. And uh, yeah, we need more powerful, kick-ass women like yourself. And I'll continue to do my part to try to shine a spotlight on those like yourself, 
Um, but I think we can all do that in our own lives um, in a certain way by just recognizing that there are powerful, amazing women all around us doing amazing things. And we will all be benefited uh, and our daughters will be benefited by celebrating them. So that's my call to action to everybody who's listening. Thanks for talking to me. Peace. Plants. Oh, <laughs> we did it. <laughs>